In the OECD's PISA survey of 66 countries in 2018, 88% of high school principals reported that climate change was covered in their school's curriculum. But it was Italy that was the first country in the world to make climate change coursework mandatory in all public schools. I'm Clara Young and I work in the OECD's Directorate for Education and Skills. I have two guests today, and one of them is Lorenzo Fioramonte. As Italy's Minister of Education, University and Research in 2019, he was the one who drove Italy's climate education reform. Currently, Lorenzo is, among many, many things, an Italian MP, an Associate Research Fellow at UNU, and a full Professor of Political Economy at the University of Pretoria, South Africa. My other guest is Nita Singh, who gives us the teacher's point of view on climate education. Nita Singh is a middle school math and science teacher in the United States and is something of an expert at linking things like fractions to climate change issues. Nita is co-director of Subject to Climate, a platform that provides engaging teaching resources and lesson plans on climate change for free. Thank you, Nita and Lorenzo, for joining me. It's a pleasure. Lorenzo, the climate education reform went into effect in September in Italy this year. So how has the rollout been? Well, we started, we introduced the new law in 2019 when I was a minister, and um, we had a preparatory phase planned for about a year. Uh, Then COVID hit, so our schools shut down and there was a general delay, as you can imagine, right? And schools were, we couldn't gather, we couldn't train teachers. um, Everything that had been planned had to be put on hold. So this year in September 2021, most schools started and um, it's at present it's still um, it depends on on the different schools so some schools have done a great job some schools are very advanced have the resources managed to do the training as expected other schools didn't again because of covid our country was affected in 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 a very unequal way some schools didn't have to close at all some schools were shut down for two years basically and now the new government which is now um in 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 office has decided to upgrade this with a new training program extended to all schools and also with an online platform so my sense is that overall it's going pretty well Um, again it depends on the type of schools but as of next year we should be on par all schools should be on par and again i'd like to emphasize the fact that this is mandatory lessons for all children okay so this is what we call the green civic education starting from grade one all the way to the end of high school so it requires massive training of teachers and also a bit of an overhaul of uh, the school curriculum so it's uh, 33 hours of climate education a year isn't it that's correct green civic education three roughly once one hour per week and how does that break down? Do, you, do, do schools have a sort of a climate hour every week or is it, is it through different, different subjects? So what we decided to do to make it operational right away was um, to basically carve out a space within the normal school curriculum, carve out a space for one hour dedicated to green civic education. The person running this is also the school coordinator. So the objective is that that hour shouldn't stay limited to the available time, but should impact and affect how the rest of the school curriculum works. So during that hour, we focus on green civic education. It's skills-based, okay? It's not theoretical. We're not reading books. We're doing stuff. The idea is that students have to practice what it means to be 
a sustainable citizen, right? What can be done? And, but at the same time, being the, the, the teacher of that course, also the coordinator, the idea is that the, the, the lessons learned should be permeating physics, should be permeating chemistry, should be permeating how you study history and geography and so on and so forth. The ultimate objective is that within five to ten years, we're then able to overall the school curriculum entirely. So let me turn to Nita, who is, is a math and science teacher, where their climate education is permeating math and science. Nita, in your school, how much time do you devote to climate education? So this is a tricky question because in our school, um, the focus is really on math skills because we get our funding through standardized tests. So the better our students perform, the more progress they make on math, the better we do as a school, the more chances we're able to continue running as a school because we are a charter. And if we don't perform well on these tests, we can actually shut down. And so my administration really focuses on these fundamental math skills. And so what I've had to do as a teacher is leverage those fundamental math skills and the climate education that I think is really important and, and integrate it. So, for example, if I want to teach how to order decimals, you know, I use maybe um, the context of food justice or agriculture or like we learn about how to plan if you're a farmer and we use, you know, those those fundamental math skills that are required by by our school and we put it into more relevant, more engaging topics for our students because what I find is that when I do that, students care more about math because of the climate education, right? It's, it's not the other way. Or they, they don't care about math. They hate math, but they care about the world. And so when I, let, when I say you need math to do something about this world, to make it better, now they're interested. Have You've been doing this for the last 10 years, I think. Have you had students who've gone on to, to be activists in, in uh, climate ch- against climate change? So I'm going to be honest with you. I, I've been teaching math for 11 years, and I didn't know that climate education was important until recently. So until the last two or three years, I was very focused on teaching math. And actually, if you look at the statistics in the United States, if a teacher teaches about climate education, they spend an hour and a half the entire year on average, right? So there's very limited teaching, learning about climate education here overall as a nation. Now, you'll see specific schools that have that have advanced, like they integrate sustainability in every grade level, in every subject, and they've been doing it for a long time. The schools and the population that I'm working with is not one of those. But over the last two or three years, what I've learned is that we can provide entry points for teachers and students to start learning about this at, you know, through math, through civics, through um, history, geography. And so it's, it's new for me, and I'm, I'm still in a graduate course learning about it, but I've already seen so many more of my students like, wanting to be involved, wanting to take climate action, feeling empowered. And so even though it's only been two or three years, I've already seen such great progress. 
Lorenzo, you were talking about um, that the teacher training was a very complex part of putting into action the new climate education reforms in Italy. And Nita, you were you were nodding your head vigorously when you heard that. Could you talk to us about that? How how did Italy carry out the teacher training? Well, it was complicated, uh, again, because of COVID, but also because one of the conditions that they put when I was a minister for a parliament to pass this law was that it wouldn't cost a penny to the state, right? This is the usual problem. So we had to do everything using resources we already had. Um, this is a, a, a dramatic situation in Italy, but I think it's common to many other countries. So that's why it, it became more complicated um, financially and also because of COVID. Um, and it took longer than we expected. And again, as I speak, uh, training is still going on. And I think, and I think it will require time when we get to a point in which all teachers um, are well acquainted with what it means to teach climate change education. Again, I'd like to repeat this. We're not interested in giving students the basics of uh, climate science. I think in a sense or another, they get that in geography, natural sciences, one way or another. We're interested in empowering students, in making them understand what the crisis means and what they can do about it, right? And the other thing is that since we have been so ambitious in terms of the range of students we cover, we cover every age. Of course, the approach has to change. You can't teach uh, green civics to a six-year-old the way you do it with a 15-year-old, right? So we created guidelines, we created a, a, a textbook that helps teachers adapt the module to the differing types of students. And I think this requires time, but believe me, it's, it's very rewarding. I think what Nita was saying about the fact that our students love knowing what to do. They love the world. They want to see how their knowledge has an impact on society. They're probably sick and tired of theory for the sake of theory. And I think this is a beautiful entry point to call into question what schools are for and potentially to change the way schools work going into the future. Uh, Nita, you co-founded Subject to Climate, um, which is a platform that helps teachers put together lesson plans with climate change content. What pushed you to do that? Uh, yes, so I'm the Director of Content Management for Subject to Climate, and our goal is to connect educators to the best free, credible resources out there so that teachers do not have to spend so much time searching for resources and the burden is really lessened for them to implement these resources because we also provide teaching tips and ready-made lesson plans for them. And the reason why I um, joined, actually my specialty or what I studied was um, migration and, and refugees. I, I was a refugee myself and so my drive actually comes from um, that area of studies and seeing how much the climate crisis has impacted migration and and created you know placelessness for for people this is really where i came in and then i realized how much as a teacher we're all really struggling to integrate our personal values of knowing the climate crisis is really important to teach wanting to take action but then professionally as a teacher not being able to because we're so restricted by funding by standardized testing by like 
um, Lorenzo was saying, you know, what what does it mean to go to school? What are we learning in school? Is it just these theories and, and the basics of climate science? Or do we need to push ourselves to be more active, sustainable citizens? And so it started off with my with one passion and and really, really led me to another. And and now I work with a global teacher task force that that are creating lessons for other teachers to use and they're all free and they they are all, all credible and it's a really important resource for teachers in America at least because we're so overburdened right now with um, the pandemic with teaching virtually last year I taught and I never met my students once and so when we have to decide on an elective to to create we actually last year decided to do a climate focus elective and a financial literacy elective. And those are two very important skills, but the reason why we decided on them had more to do with the resources that were available than, than actually like, oh, okay, this is priority in learning. No, it was like, okay, there are resources out there and we won't have to do as much work. And that's why we decided to take those two electives. Okay, I'm hearing that resources is the perhaps fundamental stumbling block to climate education. Lorenzo, if budget wasn't so much of a concern, what would be the best way to change, to overhaul education to make, to embed climate in, into it and then, and then to be able to train teachers? Well, I think that financial constraints matter a great deal, unfortunately, but we shouldn't give up. We shouldn't accept this as a status quo. And I think I say to Nita, don't accept standardized testing. You know, keep on fighting for a school that makes sense, not a school that, you know, like is in terms of accounting is, is reliable or, you know, that respects the, the, the templates. So um, I think what we need is that whole world, and I think governments understand that um, um, climate change education, green civics, are fundamental to do everything we want to do, are fundamental to help people deal with climate change, are fundamental to uh, deal with inequalities. Um, because you also teach and learn skills in terms of climate change adaptation, what kind of um, professional skills you may need in the future. You know, we're training kids with um, a, a state of mind that may be relevant in 10 years, down, in 10 years time, right? So, and it's also fundamental to achieve all the environmental objectives that we have declared in the Paris Agreement and, uh, again, at every COP. Uh, we have done a study with the Brookings Institutions that demonstrates that the immediate impact of climate change education on reducing carbon emissions is massive because the kids go back home and they teach their parents. They change their behavior when it comes to consumption. They change the behavior of families. They help build circular economies at home, in their communities, and so on and so forth. And guess what? We're talking about billions of kids, right? When I was a minister of education, I realized that everything I said or did would get to all families in my country immediately because everyone has either a son or a daughter or a family member that is in touch with the school system. So it's a very powerful tool to change behavior globally. I, I came across that report and I think the trickle-down effect, if I can use that uh, ironically, of, of students going back to their families and talking to them about what they learned about climate change, that would be, the conclusion was that would be enough to cut down on carbon emissions by 2050 more than clean power generation that Brookings Institution uh, report. 
Absolutely. This is, this is the point. Climate change, education, green civics are a fundamental tool to change behaviors. There is no other way to change the behavior of 9 billion people. The best way is to go via schools. So uh, this is to be emphasized because the return on the investment, to speak a language that our policymakers are familiar with, is not just 10, 20 years down the line, it's tomorrow. And that's why we created, and I want to I wanna say this, so we created a working group globally that puts together a bunch of former ministers, uh, Malala Fund, Education International, the Education Outcomes Fund, and so many other foundations uh, that are keen to take this onto the global agenda. And uh, at COP in Glasgow, but in, at any other summit, we're going to repeat that climate change education is probably one of the most feasible, intelligent, practically efficient ways of reducing carbon emissions and fostering the sustainability agenda. The other thing that I'm hearing as well is that is important for climate education not just to give you know knowledge for it not to be just a transfer of knowledge to students but that it empowers them to take action. That makes me think of in our PISA 2018 survey it found that young people care about the environment, 78% of students said that it's very, very important to them, environmental issues. But only 57% thought that they could do something about it. And in some countries, that fell to less than half. So how have you designed climate education in such a way that it empowers students to take action? Let me be very practical here. Um... So we have designed a module that trains and teaches, you know, teaches teachers uh, to do their job. I mean, like it helps teachers do the job. You know, they, they know the content, but not always do they know how to be able to, to address the different cohorts of students. Um, in, in primary school, it's mostly project-based. So the main idea is use the immediate environment as uh, your test bed how to turn the school into a climate-friendly uh, building, right? And, you know, how to run a herb garden in the backyard. How do we save water? How do we become... So the school becomes a small lab for these children that run around and run their projects. Again, um, managing the waste at school and connecting. And why does it matter that we manage the waste at school with what is happening in your community, in your neighborhood, in your home, and the whole world, right? Helping them connect the dots between what they do practically. So school becomes a small lab. As you move on to middle school and then to high school, it becomes more and more technical. To give you an example, in high school, we use green civic education to teach students how to do a, an energy budget for the school. So they analyze the energy consumed in the school, they see whether it can be made more efficient, where they can reduce, when they can, where they can optimize, what techniques they can use, what technologies, and then they run a budget and lower the consumption and all the money that they save is spent on projects that help the school do even better. So this way, for instance, they acquire also digital skills that may not have. They acquire skills in terms of installing PV panels on the rooftops. So they acquire skills that go beyond the textbook and are always very practical. So, and I think that is that is the secret. You know, doing do something that gives them the skills without having to patronize students. You know, you have to be able to let them lead. Nita, I think that you also work on a very practical approach in embedding climate into math. Would you agree? 
Yes, and we're, we're trying to make it more practical. <laughs> I think that our focus right now has two, two big pillars. So one is climate action. And very similar to Lorenzo, the more that students can take action, the more that they feel they can do something about this climate crisis, the better they can emotionally manage what is happening. And SEL is a huge part of our lessons because, you know, with youth anxiety increasing, we need to make sure our students feel empowered and not overpowered by what is happening in their, in their world. Because I have had some students, you know, they, they have therapists, they have, they, they're really struggling because they, they learn on their own sometimes and they're on social media and they feel so sad and and we need to teach them how to have a positive loving relationship with nature with the environment and tell them that they they have control and so the last section of every lesson that we create as subject to climate is an inspire section and right now a lot of our inspire section involves with the middle school students they are required to teach a younger student about what they learned in that lesson. And so we, we make the students into teachers and we, we force them, <laughs> uh, we force them to, to interact with younger students, with older students. And, and slowly we build a community of, of students who really care, who are talking to each other, who are explaining to each other what is happening and why you should do that or why you should do this and, and how, how those actions have an impact. And, and this has been the, the biggest part of our lesson because we're noticing these, these small interactions really do make a difference. Nita, Lorenzo, thank you for taking the time to speak to us. And thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I'm Clara Young. To find out more about Nita Singh's Teacher Resources for Climate Education, go to subjecttoclimate.org. You can also find climate action videos of Nita Singh and Lorenzo Fioramonte on the OECD's Global Teaching Insights at globalteachinginsights.org.